Hello everyone, welcome back to Daf Shavua as we study Mesechus Ksuvos Daf Nun Hey. My name is Shalom Baum. Those in Daf Shavua have not heard from me in a while, but I am back. And thank you so much to Rabbi Andrew Israeli for the shirim you gave, and I'm sure shirim you will give in the future. We're now in the fifth parak of Mesechus Ksuvos. The fifth parak of Mesechus Ksuvos continues to discuss details of the Ksuba. But let me bring you to a couple of uh, issues that happened uh, in Aksuba today. And then we're going to uh, introduce this parak with some of uh, the relevant issues. You know, Aksuba today is uh, sometimes looked at as a very romantic document. People get Ksuvos with uh, artistry done. When you look inside the Ksuba, as we're learning... It's really not very romantic. It's very much of a financial arrangement between the husband and the wife in case of divorce, in case of passing. I used to be of the opinion that uh, it was kind of silly to hang up a ksuba. I've changed my opinion for really uh, two reasons. One is you always know where it is, and that's very important. The ksuba doesn't necessarily have to be in the house of the husband and the wife, but there has to be 100% awareness of where it is. We dealt with this already back in Mesechus Yavamas, again in Mesechus Ksuvas. And the second, maybe a little bit cynical, it's good that everyone should understand that there are obligations in this marriage. You know, in the non-Jewish world, they take vows that's something that we don't do. But under a wedding, they take vows. I know vows, at least according to the TV and movies, you know, they're not really so much similar to Aksuva. It's more romantic than uh, financial. But I think even the financial does have a romantic aspect where it shows the commitment, how it's not something, as we discussed, the whole purpose of Aksuva, that a person is just going to, you know, get up and leave without tremendous thought going into it. Now, as another point of introduction, there's a Havamina in the Mishnah that I would like to spend some time with, and it actually impacts us on this daf as well. The basic assumption that the Gemara is making is that any addition to the Ksuva, let's say we call it the Tosefes Ksuva today in the Ksuva, that the Chassan gives out of his own will, even though today it's become standardized. And I'm talking about ksuvas in the United States of America, in Gullus, the basic tradition. The ksuva in Eretz Israel is going to be a little bit different. But we have in every ksuva today what's really discussed in the Mishnah, where a Tosefis ksuva. I like to explain it at a chasana. It's, at the, it's a sign of love that you give more. You give the basic amount of aksuba. You give for the dowry that came in. That's the nadunya. And then you have what's tosefis ksuva, which is what we're seeing in our Mishnah, right? And in the Mishnah, you see that the person could add any amount. And the ramifications of it is if she violates the ksuva, then it's not a separate deal. She's not going to get the Tosefis Ksuva either. Or if it's any of those conditions that are spelled out at the uh, bottom 
of Nun Dalet Amid Beis continuing on to Ardaf of Nun He Amid Aleph. So we don't segregate it. They all go together. Now the Gemara raises a Havamina, and I'm going to do most of this outside because these are issues that I've discussed in the past, but I'm happy to provide the Makoros. The Gemara says something very interesting. The, the Gemara has a Havamina that you shouldn't have to be allowed to have this Tosefus Ksuva. Definitely not beyond a uh, minimal amount, a basic amount. Because what you're going to end up having is you're going to end up being Mavayish the Kala, maybe even the Chassan, but you're going to be Mavayish, the, let's call it the couple, that um, they're poor, that they're not able to afford. You know, you go to a wedding one night in a catering call, and uh, these people are doing a very basic suva. The next night, you go to the Pierre, you go to the Waldorf Astoria, you're going to expect that Suva is going to be a lot more. So not only is it going to lead to a certain competition, but it could embarrass people. And we are concerned, specifically at weddings, about being Mavayish people. You know, the whole Gemara in, uh, that discusses in Sechus Moikatan, that on Tubav and Yom Kippurim, the reason why everyone dressed in white when the men were trying to find the women was in order not to be mavayish someone, that there should be a difference between a person who's richer and a person who's poorer. You have another example at a chasana where we practice something not to be mavayish. I'm waiting for the answer. Correct. It is the Masadi Kedushin, right? So even though... I am married to one woman that shall, shall, I'm talking about myself. I have said the Birchas Erison, you know, over a hundred times or so in my career. The Birchas Erison is something that belongs to the Chassan. But in order not to embarrass a Chassan, especially on this day, uh, who wouldn't know how to formulate, doesn't know Hebrew, we end up that the Masada Kedushin becomes the person who says the bracha. That's why you'll hear at a wedding, the Messiah Kedushin says, I'm doing this for you. You know, it's different than a bris, where the male says, I'm doing it for you. That's because we don't want to have, have a, a father who doesn't know how to do a bris. And we have many other examples of where we try not to embarrass people, to highlight one person's living standard against another living standard. The Gemara says, even when it comes to burial, Everybody is buried in the same way, you know, with the same tachrichim, in order, believe it or not, not to embarrass. Even this person is not alive, but to embarrass, not to embarrass his family or his reputation, that he was poor as opposed to somebody who was rich. And we have the same thing by an aliyah. What happens by an aliyah latara? A person is not allowed to, let's say he gets an aliyah, and you have a balkore, you can't get up there and then start leaning. Because if you're the only one who leans when you get an aliyah, and the others are not leaning, then that's a mechseki yahira. It's not just a mechseki yahira, that it looks like you're showing off. You're going to embarrass the people that can't. So this comes back, and I'm asking the question, which I didn't see raised, why are we not concerned? You see, Gemara here has the Havamina that we shouldn't uh, embarrass the Kala. 
that she's marrying a poor schnook, you know, chas v'shalom, but I'm using that language. Why aren't we concerned about that? And we should have, then, a standard ksuva. It's a pretty good question. And obviously it's a question, because if something is a havamina, a first thought in the Gemara, just going through the process of how we learn, it carries weight. So what you have to do is analyze the havamina and what's the maskana. And what I want to suggest, I think I'm right, but it could be there's an alternative, I'd be happy to hear from some of you, that at the end of the day, aksuba is a financial arrangement. See, every single other case that I pointed out, there's a aspect of ritual that's associated with it. Even the situation of the kala, everybody dressing white, you wouldn't say that there's a ritual with it, but there's a message over there that you shouldn't be picking out someone just because of their clothes, right? You're supposed to understand who they are, you know, how the relationship could develop. So in those situations, there's a purpose, there's an incentive not to make a distinction between one person and another. And obviously there's going to be such an incentive when it comes to the question of embarrassing a chassin and embarrassing a kala with the rituals, right, with the brachas. But over here, this really is, and that goes back to what I said in the beginning, a private arrangement between the two sides. And it's not just a private arrangement, it's a dine mominus. Now, we have the practice of reading the ksuba out loud so people could listen. You don't have to read the ksuba out loud, and this would be maybe a reason not to and to do something else. The basic reason why you have the ksuba being read out loud is because we want to have a hefsek between the erisin and the nisuin. We want there to be a break to show that these are two separate rituals. Because as you remember, we pointed out, and we pointed out in the past, there used to be up to a year, sometimes maybe even a longer, between the Arisin and the Nisuin. Technically, I heard this once from Rav Shechta, we're not going to do this out of respect. You could read a newspaper, right? I think I heard that from Rav Shechta, if not, it was from Rabbi Tenler, said, please don't quote me. You could read a newspaper. It's not that the Ksuba being read has to be accomplished. And there are times, and this is where I wanted to come full circle, where we will change things in the ksuba when it's not dine mominus, at least out loud. What happens if it's a situation where the Masada Kedushin is aware of the fact that the woman is not a basula, but everybody else out there thinks she is a basula? So one of two things is going to happen. Either, since we are in a financial arrangement, the chassan could agree, as long as he knows, to still give the same value as the basula, the 200, the masayim. And then the person who's reading will say basula because the basula there relates to the masayim. It's not making a statement about the anatomy of a woman. Or, even if it's not done that way, where it is a hundred, then the Masada Kedushin is allowed to say basula in order not to be mavayish. Now, what happens if everybody knows that this couple's being living together 
So that's a question, because you don't want to make a, a joke out of the ksuba itself. So here I'm showing you, even within the ksuba, there could be a chilek. When it's dealing with something that is so sensitive, and we're assuming that the dine mominus issue is not in its right, not in itself an issue that would cause shame. You know, someone asked the question to um, Reb Chaim Kanievsky about money. You know, uh, I'm jealous. Someone said to me, you know, how do I work on my jealousy? Somebody's driving a much fancier car than I am. I'm very jealous about it. And Reb Chaim Kanievsky said, why would you be jealous of that? Like, that's not the type of thing you should be jealous of. If a guy's learning 20 mesechtas and you're not, that's what you should be jealous of. So the mumminess in itself. Now, it's different. We're just talking about uh, mumminess. You know, clearly when it comes to showing off, most of us would understand, you know, the question that that person was asking to Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Now, I want to go full circle, and I'm not going to get as far as I wanted, but okay, this is an important issue to highlight. You know that a person who is Mavayish, another person, Barabim, and this just reinforces how strong the Havlamina could be. So according to uh, Rabbeinu Yonah, it's mamish uh, like killing somebody. The Gemara says it is like killing someone, but do we take that literally or not? And there's a whole question about whether such an individual could be Ayla Leduchin, because a person that murders is not allowed to Duchin. There's a safer that came out in Eretz Israel a few years ago, Vayisa Aaron. It actually raises this discussion of people that you would think cannot Duchin or think of, of, of people that you think can duchen, but shouldn't duchen. Now, in this situation, assuming that this person would not be able to duchen, there's a good chance that he's the only person who knows whether he embarrassed someone else. And you have to end up facing up to Hashem. doesn't mean you can't do tshuva from it. In the same sefer, and I'm just going to end with this, since we're dealing with the war in Eretz Yisrael, and Rabbi Israeli sent this to me yesterday, but it's something that's also mentioned in the sefer, how about a person that killed a terrorist? Are they allowed to duchen? Because if you have blood on your hands, you're not allowed to duchen. So Rabbi Yosef said, there's no cleaner hands than those hands. There's no holier hands than those hands. Those are not hands that have embarrassed someone. Those are not hands that have killed for no reason or even accidentally. That is pure mitzvah. Okay, there's a lot more to do on Daphne and Hay. I wanted to uh, just get back into the DAF. I'll probably cover some issues on DAF Nun Hey next week as we continue with Nun Vav. Enjoy the learning.